it's the beginning of a new episode of One Hand Wonders of the World. We are rolling tape. I'm going to open my notes. And you know what the first thing we do anytime there's a guest on this show, Nick? We make him say the episode title. And this is episode 10. Finally made it. Are you ready? Episode, episode 10. Can you give me that energy? Give me some energy. Yeah, I got energy. What do I say? Episode 10. Say it like three times. Give me some takes to work with. Do I say take on me also? No, just say episode 10. Okay. Maxton will be the one doing the taking. Episode 10. Episode 10. Yes. One more. Episode 10. Perfect. Welcome back to One Hit Wonders of the World, or should I say, Two Hit Wonders of the World. I am Maxton Stenstrom. I'm Trevor Ickrath. You're confused, sounds like. What's going on, Trevor? How are you? A two hit wonder of the world? What's going on here? I thought we only cover one hit wonders, Maxton. Not today, buddy. Not today. We are breaking the rules a little bit. And here to help us break the rules a little bit is a wonderful friend of mine. I've known him for five or six years now, one of my first friends in L.A., Nick Bottomley is here with us in the studio today. The Prince of Shoegaze himself. <laughs> How have you been, Nick? Welcome to the I've show. I've been pretty good. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about my perhaps second favorite one-hit wonder. Awesome. What's your, what's your number one? Yeah, I need to know this. Well, I feel like this may be, I'm hoping this is spoiling a future episode, but it is... <laughs> Steal My Sunshine by Len. Oh, good one. Fantastic. We'll be covering that somewhere down the road. Today, we are here to take on, take on me. By AHA. By AHA. And their oft overlooked number 20 hit, The Sun Always Shines on TV. Also by AHA. Also by AHA. AHA! AHA! How psyched are you to murder all of these Swedish names? Norwegian, and yes, Norwegian I am, names. I right. am incredibly excited. I've been practicing all day. It's going to be really good, you guys. God, you always hear about Swedish synth pop, but here we've got some Norwegian synth pop. Very Right? This is the only like Norwegian band I can think of. Cool! Have, like, ever knowing about. That'll come up later. But for now, Nick, what do you think of Take On Me by AHA? 
I think it's a really good song. Me too. Are we going into our life experiences with this particular song? We are going into our life opinions and life experiences. Nick, take it away. Okay, so the first time I heard this song was on my dad. It was in my dad's car where he had created an 80s mix CD with songs almost definitely stolen from LimeWire. Oh, fantastic. Like this was 2004. Four ish. My dad was into music piracy before anyone else I knew was. That is incredibly cool. <laughs> so yeah, there were a bunch of songs that he had like downloaded that like you know some some weird bootleg of like American Idiot was the only song I actually knew. My Green Day. <laughs> can you can you think of any other songs that might have been on there? Yeah, on that particular CD, that it was actually my first introduction to Talking Heads. So it had Burning Down the House and Once in a Lifetime. Fantastic great songs i'm just trying to think of what like a typical dad would pirate on the internet and like i'm thinking of like maybe like like the fbi like monitoring some kind of illegal internet activity and they're like why do we see all these spikes in illegal downloads of steely dam (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing my dad did not need to download illegally steely dan songs he had enough of those already (laughs) you give love a bad name was another one of those great um and then the internet's favorite song right now africa oh my god that was that was the thing like when when that became a meme i was like i was over it by that point because this this had been such a part of my childhood listening to this song um you know in my dad's car like every day on the way to and from school yeah, it's like, why, why is everybody settling into this song my dad pirated on the internet? Exactly. Now, on that note, I want to go ahead and pop the question to you guys. Do you think Take On Me has been memed to death? That's a good question because memes have had a field day with this one. Yeah. I can't hear that first opening synth sting without picturing that vine it's used in. Yes! Oh, that's right. With a right. girl turning! I, I wish I didn't have to see that, you know? <laughs> I agree. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say it ruins it, but it doesn't make it better. It hasn't been memed to death for me. And I think the main reason for that is Weezer has not done an absolutely terrible cover of it <laughs> and made it to number one on the charts. Oh, just you wait. We recorded this episode in November 2018, meaning that Nick Bottomley is a psychic. Thanks to its video, this song was almost like a meme before memes were big. I remember, like, maybe during, like, the initial run of Family Guy. You know, that's a show that's famous for, like, its long, like, pointless cutaway gags. Yes. There was a whole, like, two-minute joke where they just basically reenacted this video for some reason. Really? And that was before, like, you know, everybody knew what memes were. Our culture has always mined this song and its accompanying video for humor. But I think even, like, putting that aside... When you're able to forget about all that, it's a really good track. Yeah, I agree. Amazing, amazing song. I mean, that synth, that synth thing, that do 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 do. Iconic. That's maybe, maybe that's like in the top ten pieces of music that anybody has ever composed with a synthesizer in terms of like iconicism. It was using some top forty hit. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Pitbull has had his hands on. Oh yes! Wow, it was Pitbull. Okay, I have a fun story about this song and how I first learned about this song. Back in my glory days in 2008, uh, I was 12. And you were a mashup artist. When I was a mashup artist, yes. Back in my glory days, 
I, uh, I had an iPod video, a 30 gigabyte iPod video, and it was my entire life. In my pre-social media days, I was very fucking into what I believe is a lost art, uh, video podcasts. I fucking adored video podcasts. I don't really feel like people do them anymore. I think podcasts are pretty solidified as an audio-only medium now. Yeah. Well, podcasts and YouTube channels kind of became their own things. Yes, and, and yeah. each has a very defined identity. But back in those days, it was, it was kind of a free-for-all. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite podcasts was a best of YouTube podcast, right? And I, I very clearly remember three videos that I watched on this best of YouTube podcast. One of them is a remix of sounds from Windows XP on ProTracker and turned into like this fucking kick-ass, beautiful song. Like a, like a weird trip-hop electronic thing. That video changed me and maybe inspired me to make music. The second video, weird memory, don't know why I'm hanging on to this. It was a mashup of Vogue by Madonna with... Um, John McCain campaign speeches. <laughs> I I don't I can't tell you why I was I was into that content when I was twelve, but it stuck with me. Were your parents like really excited to see you engaging with the McCain campaign? <laughs> I can't remember that much, but I just and they like photoshopped his face into the video and everything. <laughs> it was great. It, it was it's a very good video. Don't know if it's what, still online. Was the artist? McDonough? <laughs> no, but it should have been. No, but it's a missed opportunity that it wasn't. I think I've just found it. You just found it? <laughs> I think so. Do you do you want do you want to send it to me so I can play it? <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yeah, this is it. This is the right. This seems like it's just begging for a DMCA takedown. Programs approaching bankruptcy. Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. Prohibitively expensive health care. <laughs> Job loss, failing schools. Ladies with an attitude. Rising food prices, to name a few. <laughs> okay, I think I think we've gotten a little bit off topic. Yeah, yeah, we have, but um, uh, McDonough. Anyway, uh, the third video in this best of YouTube video podcast was the none other than the Take On Me music video, which I watched at least 10 times. It's an iconic video. Iconic doesn't even begin to describe it. It is it's a cultural force. Like you said, it's it's baffling to me that that a band with this much relevancy in one rarefied location couldn't make it happen again. Isn't that interesting? Well, I mean, technically, considering this is our first episode of Two Hit Wonders of the World, mm -hmm. they did make it happen one more You're time. You're right. In, in a way, out of all the acts and like bands and artists we've talked about on the show so far, if you were to like ask me to guess which one had a follow-up hit, I, I might say, aha. They're very polished. I feel like they definitely knew Take On Me was gold when they were writing it. They heard it and they were like, yeah, this is, this is a hit single. There's no question about it at all. It took a few times, though, as we'll discuss. Yeah, it did take a few times. I think that's a perfect segue to get into the backstory of Aha! So, let's jump into it. 
Let's talk about it. You want to butcher these uh, Norwegian names? Please for, forgive me ahead oh, of time. I'm, I'm part Norwegian, so I can do this perfectly. Oh, sweet. Oh, Nick, then, why, Nick, why don't do you, you want to do it? Nick? All right. In Norway in the early 80s, Pale Wiktar and Holman. Whoa. The, Nor- the Norwegian jumped out. Whoa. That is 100% legit. Nobody find me on Twitter and yell at me. <laughs> so, yeah, those two guys, they began their careers playing in a band called Bridges, which is actually an okay band name. I like that better than AHA. Yeah, me too. They were in Bridges with Viggo Bondi and Oystein Yevenord. Yevenord. Sure. In 1981, uh, that band produced uh, Fackletog, which means Torchlight Parade. Great job. Um, an, an LP which, uh, for which all the music was composed by the group themselves, most of it being written by Nick. Waktar. Uh, w- Waktar, yeah. Just think that of guy. it like a, like a Klingon name. <laughs> the best thing though the best thing about this is that since norwegians are white mispronouncing their names isn't racist exactly yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah we could do this all day so one of the one of the tracks uh Waktar and his little group uh rehearsed uh, together at the time <laughs> although not included on that torchlight parade ep was a song called the juicy fruit song which included elements of a track that would later become take on me i really want to know why it was called that was it an advertisement for the gum was the chorus juicy fruit like tell me (laughs) come on that's a weird fucking title for this i don't think it is at all if i had nothing but that that synth part which apparently was in that early version of the song like i could see like coming up with a title like oh it's like weird and catchy and kind of bubbly yeah juicy fruit song so you think they came up with that before they had any lyrics, is what you're saying? It wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, I'm always now going to sing Juicy Fruit over the course of this song in the way that you just did. <laughs> Great. Awesome. So not long after that, they disbanded because they weren't super successful. As you do. But Waktar and Fra Holman relocated to London to try their hand tackling the music industry over there after six months of disappointment they returned to norway they just couldn't make it work they just couldn't make it work but once they got back home they asked morton harkett to join his lead singer at the time he was singing at a band called soldier blue although it's spelled weird so maybe it's pronounced differently mm-hmm. it's got soul it's in got it. soul in it because they're like music has soul <laughs> I didn't even realize. You know, they had soul, but they weren't soldiers, so they weren't doing so well. Um, They were stagnating, and he decided to jump ship and join these guys. The as-untitled band of these Norwegian misfits. I think we can just refer to them as the guys who didn't get animated for the Take On Me video. (laughs) That rolls off the tongue. Sure. So they stayed together for six months, writing some songs, working on some demos, including one called Lesson One, a new track based on the Juicy Fruit song, which would, you know, eventually in turn evolve yet again into Take On Me. Any more working titles, guys? With some new songs under their belt, in January 1983, the three guys returned to London in search of a recording contract with like a new sense of optimism and purpose. Back in the jaws of the beast. They don't have a band name yet, though. Right. And they're trying to think of what to call themselves. And they were trying to focus on Norwegian words people could say in English. But they realized that was a stupid idea when they were looking through some of uh, 
uh, Wachtar's song titles and found one called Aha, which Morton thought would be a terrible name for a song, but a good name for a band. I don't know if I agree. Actually, it was a song. It was a whole song in the songbook, and he said it was a terrible song, but a great name. A terrible title for a terrible song. Right. But an acceptable name for a band that is capable of producing a hit. (laughs) Now that they have a name, they move into an apartment in London, begin calling on all kinds of record companies to see if they want to put out their stuff. They decided to record some new demos and chose the studio of musician and producer John Ratcliffe because it had a Space Invaders machine. Maxton, discussion question. You're a hungry band slash music producer looking for a space to record your, you know, new work. Sure. What feature of this space that you're touring is it that makes you go, I got to be here? Like, what's one Mm. cool thing that would convince you that this studio is the one you want to work in? What's your Space Invader machine? Man, the only thing I can think of right now isn't that cool, and it was a thing that I had in a studio that I've worked at before, and it's just a Red Bull fridge. But I, I don't I don't think that that's actually my answer, so I'm going to pass this off to Nick while I think. That is the most Maxton answer I could imagine. <laughs> it would just be like just a fridge stock with Mountain Dew. Mine's pretty simple. I think... No, it would be enough for me. Like a cool soda fountain. Or like a Coke freestyle machine. Actually, that's my answer. If it had a fucking Coke freestyle machine, it's a done deal. I got to say, I've never been a big fan of the Coke freestyle machine. Oh, what I are feel you like, talking I feel like about? It, it offers you all the choices in the world. That's true. But there's something about the flavor of the soda produces that feels like it's a compromise. You are bugging. That shit is amazing. No, it tastes weird. It tastes like... Like, if you go to, like, a normal soda fountain where it's, like, you know, Coke, Diet Coke, Sprite, orange soda, blah, whatever, each one has its own thing, right? And it's been, it's mixed, like, together. It's not being mixed in the thing. So, like, it's already, like, prepared to the, like, Coke and Diet Coke and Sprite specifications. The Coke Freestyle, it, like, it has to do a lot. So, I don't think it can do each of the separate things as well as it could if it was only devoting attention to those things. And is what I'm saying making sense? Sounds like you're tasting separate nozzles, buddy. <sighs> it, it feels like that's the result. Like, it feels like there's kind of like, that's that's why. Because there are like, there's only one nozzle that it can come through, right? Whereas, like, that, like, that's the main difference you're describing to me. I am fully in defense of the Coke freestyle. I don't know. It's like the soda always tastes like 10% worse. I think we got off topic again. Yeah, okay. Nick, what's your Space Invader machine? I think it would be just like a bunch of Legos. <laughs> oh, true. Okay. Would that help your songwriting process, do you think? I think so. I think it would yeah. be like, you know, something you could just like dive in and just like turn your brain off and like generate some sort of creative energy. That sounds and pretty then nice. Just yeah. Go back to the studio and, and you know, people you know. people say that like young thug writes in the studio. He doesn't write lyrics, he just like draws pictures. <laughs> what if there was like some even weirder rapper who's like, Yeah, man, when he's in the studio, he doesn't even write words, doesn't write, he just builds stuff with Legos. <laughs> That's how he writes his songs. So back to AHA. The band signed with the owner of the Space Invaders machine, John Ratcliffe, who in return introduced them to his manager, Terry Slater, who would act as the group's international business manager. And with his encouragement, the band managed to complete some songs, including 
take on me. And after a few meetings, Slater signed them with Warner Brothers Records. They met with producer Tony Mansfield, who was like an expert in the use of the Fairlight CMI, who mixed the demos with electronic instrumentation. Uh, the, the sound wasn't exactly what AHA had hoped to achieve. So they had the record remixed again. And then they were kind of in a rush to release Take On Me. So they just kind of pushed it out. And it only really charted at like, uh, it only got up to what, like 137 on the charts? The lowest charted of all the songs that they like put out. I believe, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that that is the version you can hear in the original music video. You guys want to take a listen to that real quick? Sure. It's kind of a through the looking glass moment, actually. Yeah. Synth sounds so weird here. Yeah, very different. And instantly, I'm glad they re-recorded it. The production on this sounds to me like it was made using, like, the DOS sound cards. <laughs> like, it sounds like the Doom soundtrack. Oh, interesting. He could still hit that note, though. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, like, all the elements are there, but it sounds like the production is very different. I can tell that it wasn't what they hoped to achieve. Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of janky, if I'm being honest. It does sound a little janky. Whereas when I think of the like finished single version that gets played on the radio, it's so tight and so smooth and so like glossed over. It's like, yeah. like the, the pinnacle of that clean synth sound. Whereas this one kind of sounds like it like almost could fall apart. Luckily, regardless of the quality of this initial single, Warner Brothers' main office in the U.S. decided to invest in the band and gave them the opportunity to re-record the song. Thanks, bros. Good job, you guys. Terry Slater convinced Alan Tarney to produce the new version, and the song was soon completed and re-released in the United Kingdom, but the record label's office in London gave them little support, and the single flopped for the second time. Bummer. But all is not lost. In the United States, Warner Brothers put the group on high priority and made the move to invest significant money in a revolutionary video for Take On Me using the new version produced by Tarney. The single was released in the United States a month after the music video and immediately appeared in the Billboard Hot 100. Welcome to What Went Right. So yeah, as we were saying earlier, there there was an initial video, which is just the band performing like against a blue background, and they, it uses that original version of the song, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Sometimes there are like slow motion shots of what seems to be a ballerina silhouette. It's pretty boring. You're really not missing anything. I think we need to explain some of the things that the original lacks as well, which is, first of all, it doesn't have that iconic drum opening, and second of all, it doesn't have... The flight of the bumblebee part in the bridge. Yes, yes, that. Yeah, all that is gone. That is gone from the original version, and that is a addition exclusively in the new version. So, lesson here is: if you want to make a hit, put flight of the bumblebee in there. <laughs> or somebody, somebody should make a, like a playlist or something of like songs that include like little snippets of songs like that in them, because like. Uh, 
David Bowie's uh, I I read the news today, oh boy, or uh, what is that? What song is that? That's uh, from uh, Young Americans. That Young has Americans, a snippet from A Day in the Life. But I'm talking about like older songs, like Flight of the Bumblebee, and like um, that cover of Bruce Springsteen's "Blinded by the Light" that blew up and became like a big single by that shitty band that I can't remember the name of. Um, they include. Is that the one where that always says "wrapped yes, up like that a song. Yeah, um, they play chopsticks in the middle of that. You know that. It's awesome. <laughs> but again, really big hit. So maybe there's something about including a little bit of like fair use music in a in the bridge to your song that people really <laughs> seem to latch on to. Right. Interesting cheat code. Aha. Uh-huh. Let's talk about this video, though, because this video is really what made the song, I think. Yeah, this video is, is certainly what made the song, certainly what, what made the song pop here in America. Um, Directed by Irish-born British film director Steve Barron. Um, filmed in 1985 at Kim's Cafe, which is now called Savoy Cafe, on Wadsworth Road in London, mm-hmm. and also on a soundstage in London. The video used a pencil sketch animation plus live action combo called rotoscoping in which the live action footage is traced over frame by frame to give characters realistic movements. Approximately 3,000 frames were rotoscoped, which took 16 weeks to complete. Yeah, it's just it's iconic. Like the the way that like the the style in which it's like drawn and stuff like it's shown up. It's been parodied like so many times. I've seen it like everywhere in pop culture. I'm not going to sit here and give you a line-by-line retelling because it's on Wikipedia. You can read it if you want to. And it's 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 a, and also, actually, fuck that. If you haven't seen the Take On Me video, just watch Yeah, pause, the pause right now. Video. Go watch it. Come back. I'll, I'll say that it's, you know, it's about a woman sitting in a cafe. She's reading a comic book about, like, a race car driver. And eventually she gets sucked into the comic by the race car driver. They have a kind of quick romance narrative going on. And it ends with her escaping from the comic book and bringing him back to the real world with her. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But the story continues in their uh, next music video, a song we will cover also on this episode, The Sun Always Shines on TV. So I had, one of the experiences I had with this video was... Back when I had my first iPod uh, Nano that had like the capability to load videos and stuff onto it, um, I would almost always buy the music video version of songs that I wanted to listen to True. because this was kind of like pre-YouTube, like before YouTube music videos like didn't get taken down uh, immediately. So this was kind of like yeah. the only way I had to see these videos. So... AHA's Take On Me was the very first thing in my iTunes library forever because it's AHA. Yeah, um, above all the other letters. So anytime this song came on, that was like the version I he- would hear. And in the music video, after the breakdown, there's a bit, there's a sound effect that the video uses where one of the like pit crew uses a wrench to shatter like a piece of glass um, in the animated yes. world. So every time I hear this song now, I still hear that sound in my mind. Like Great. on the radio, I hear the this like ricochet sound effect. Love it. This video, fucking iconic. And you know who else agreed? 
the MTV Music Video Awards from 1986, where it won six awards, one of which for most experimental video, which is a category I would like to see come back. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Who do you think would take that home these days? <sighs> who has who has weird music videos? I think I I don't know if they're necessarily experimental. But the first thing that popped to mind is how good Travis Scott's new videos are. I would probably nominate him for best experimental video for like Stop sure. Trying to Be God or something. Those are great fucking music I could definitely videos. see him getting a nom. They also got nominated for favorite pop slash rock video at the 13th American Music Awards. Like America saw this video and had a gut reaction to it. And we have really not stopped letting go of this video in the intervening years, really. It's an all-time classic. But the story with AHA does not stop there. No, What Went Right continues with the band's second single, The Sun Always Shines on TV. impressions of the sun always shines on tv well, first of all i had never heard this song before researching for this podcast me either i can see why it's not as ubiquitous as take on me is i don't like it nearly as much i don't like it nearly as much it also takes about 50 seconds to really get going yeah and i'm not a fan of that extended intro either that's not my favorite part of the song even then you don't get to the chorus for much longer there's kind of like hints of the chorus melody, but it's it's pretty dragged out. Honestly, a little surprised it got as high as 20 to keep it a total buck. I think it's because that beat is so funky, so danceable. That's probably what it was. I think the music video is kind of cool. There's lots of disembodied faces and stuff. That's pretty neat. I still can't get behind him playing a full drum set when this is obviously a drum machine, but... Have fun, guy. Do your thing. Uh, they said when they recorded when they recorded it, they were really sick with influenza. Magne and Morton were lying in the studio on camping bags with high fevers. I don't know if that affected anything really about the performance because like he sounds pretty much like he did on Take on Me here. I'm gonna say it probably affected something. Yeah, maybe their judgment. <laughs> Anyway, the song peaked at number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100 
but it won best cinematography and best editing at also at the 1986 MTV Music Video Awards, bringing AHA's total to 11 nominations and eight wins. The following year, Peter Gabriel would outdo them with 13 nominations and nine wins, also for two separate videos. But in successive years, even as the award categories have expanded, only a few rarefied artists have approached and none have surpassed the single year award totals of AHA and Peter Gabriel. That is wild. Not bad for a one hit wonder. A true class to be a part I'm of. I'm sorry, a two hit wonder. A two hit wonder. That, an important distinction. The thing about the title of that song is the original title for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia was It's Always Sunny on TV. Ooh. So I, I can't separate the two. Weird. So the band's American success culminated in their 1986 Grammy nomination uh, for Best New Artist, uh, which they unfortunately lost to Sade. It's an honor to lose to Sade, in my sure. Opinion. And you know, I don't know if I don't know if I'd put Aha over Sade, but that's just me. Certainly not. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, the Sun Always Shines on TV kind of turned out to be their last top 100 single, and to this day in the United States, their single "Take on Me" has been their big touchstone moment and as such the band is frequently considered a one-hit wonder there despite two top 40 hits two hit wonders of the world getting it right though seriously people need to recognize in the uk however the story was very different right because the sun always shines on tv kind of eclipsed take on me in popularity how those Brits, man, they got weird taste. It's dark up there all the time. They gotta, they enjoy <laughs> the the dark tones. Good point. The TV shine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good point. So it peaked at number one there somehow, and in the UK, Aha enjoyed continued success with two more hit singles from the same album, and the band remained popular there throughout the eighties and early nineties. Way to go, boys! Their their first album though, Hunting High and Low from nineteen eighty five. That album became a worldwide bestseller, spending most of October and November in the top 20 of Billboard's top 200 album chart. It earned triple platinum status in the UK and platinum status in the US and Germany, gold in the Brazil and the Netherlands, 11 million copies worldwide. Money, 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 money. Good job, AHA. Getting that money. I mean, these are like, for a one-hit wonder, like, did Blind Melon sell 11 million records? I can't remember, but I don't think so, no. I don't think they did. The album peaked at number 15 in the U.S. on the Billboard 200 Albums chart and peaked at number two on the U.K. Albums chart. And it spent uh, 38 weeks in the top 10 on in Norway, including eight weeks at number one. They are proud of AHA. Pretty, pretty decent career so far. Maxton, what went wrong? The intervening years... We're kind to AHA. How am I supposed to write a what went wrong section when the next heading on their Wikipedia says Golden Age? While their next album, Scoundrel Days, was well-received, it didn't quite match the sales records of its predecessor, except in Switzerland, where it is AHA's best-selling album. Crazy Swedes. Crazy, crazy, crazy Swiss. Crazy Swisses. Right, yeah. They stayed put on Warner Brothers until 1993 for a total five-record run with them, which really isn't bad. And they were able to score a number 50 Billboard hit with the lead single from their second album, The Boy Who Cried Wolf Inspired, Cry Wolf. Pretty good, aha, uh-huh, but not good enough for the pod. Not not a three-hit wonder. No, not, not a three-hit wonder. You don't make it onto three-hit wonders of the world. That was actually their last uh, single to chart on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, after the release of that one, they toured in the U.S., but that was their last appearance there for 20 years. Crazy. 
If I had to diagnose AHA with the reason they couldn't make it happen in America again, I'd say it's that their moment passed and they wanted to focus on success elsewhere, mainly Europe. I think they kept their finger on the pulse, evident in the fact the scoundrel days moved away from the dying art of synth pop and a little bit more towards alt rock, and it's rewarded them throughout their career. I think AHA's came, saw, conquered, cash checks, and never needed to look back across the pond in order to continue having a successful music career. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. And that's one of the interesting things I find about a lot of one-hit wonders is that they're not one-hit wonders everywhere, you know? Yes. Like, Rage Against the Machine is considered a one-hit wonder in the UK, but definitely not here. No, no definitely not here. They're huge here. So, Max, then what came next? What came next is they had a successful music career, and to date... The band has become arguably the largest musical export of Norway. I can't think of much competition. Yeah, I can't either. I mean, Nor- Norway's big for what? Like death metal, right? Like Norwegian metal? Oh, yeah. I think all of Scandinavia is, is big yeah. for death metal, I'd have to say. The band has had huge success in the U.S. and the U.K. However, perhaps even more success in non-English speaking areas of the world, such as Germany, France, and in South America, Brazil in particular. Yeah, I mean, they have a Guinness World Record from 1991 for drawing the largest paying audience at a pop concert with 198,000 people at the Estadio de Maracana Stadium in Rio de Janeiro. Big in Brazil. That's cool. Big in Brazil. One of the few bands to, you know come to brazil and that's why it brought out 198,000 people a band actually came to brazil and another record for the band is for uh their singer morton harkett who was and still is listed in the guinness world records book in 2001 for the longest live note held he held a note in summer moved on for 20.2 seconds that seems short <laughs> right <laughs> But man, I got I we haven't talked about it much, but I really do have to like hand it to his vocal performance on Take on Me like yes. the way he hits those high notes and like really brings it to the chorus. Like, like dude, can you do that shit? Absolutely not. He sounds great. He, there's so much conviction in his voice. But do you want to try? I think we should try. I do not want to try but, at the like, moment. <laughs> we, Trevor, that's that's the, the note. That's the note. Can you hit it? Can can you try to hit it? We can all do it together. Can you play it again? He hits it on two, right? Two in a yeah. day or two. I can't do it. That's as high as I can. Two. Uh, I can't do it. Uh, hang on. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. I can't like just jump into the last note. I gotta like. I gotta. I gotta get. I gotta do the whole thing. Take on me. I think I did okay. That was pretty good. The walls in my apartment are paper thin. My roommates must fucking hate me right now. In 1994, after their fifth studio album, Memorial Beach, failed to achieve the commercial success of any of their previous albums, the band finally had went on a hiatus. But... Following a performance at the Nobel Peace Prize concert in 1998, the band returned to the studio and recorded their sixth album. And from then until 2009, they would release four more albums on a new label. Aha, still out there doing it. Aha! From a hiatus to (laughs) aha again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was worth it for a hiatus. Yeah, but in October of 2009, the band announced that they would be splitting up after a worldwide tour in 2010. The ending on a high note tour. For real this time, you guys. I'm serious. That's a pretty good name for the tour, though. 
That is a good name. It's a great name for a tour. Yeah. So thousands of fans from at least 40 different countries on six continents congregated to see <laughs> AHA on the last leg of this tour. Uh, the band earned an estimated 500 million Norwegian kroner from concert tickets. <laughs> I don't know how much that is in uh, U.S. dollars. $60 million. $60 million. Which is That's a lot. That's a lot of money from tickets, merchandise, and a greatest hits album. It's enough to make them one of the 40 to 50 largest grossing bands in the world. That's fucking crazy. It's still a one-hit wonder, though. Still just take on me in the U.S. But, like, they're with ABBA and, like... Prince and Dave Matthews band, like all all the big huge money makers. Yeah. Um bands and artists with like really extensive catalogs that they've spent right. decades putting together. And like here here are ah with their one fucking song <laughs> like in the club, you know. I, I, I guess you could argue that they have also built up an extensive catalog, but I don't yeah, think but as many people but, listen no. <laughs> No, no. But hey, way to go. Regardless of how influential they are or aren't, several bands of artists have mentioned that they like AHA, including Chris Martin of Coldplay, uh, Adam Clay, 2,000 Pounds of U2, <laughs> Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and a, a one-hit wonders of the world favorite, Pitbull. Yeah, Baja Men graduate Pitbull himself. <laughs> Yes, Pitbull of the Baja, man. In 2013, he and uh, Christina Aguilera actually put out a song called Feel This Moment, which prominently featured a sample of Take On Me. It was the keyboard part, right? Yeah, and they played it live at the MGM Grand during the 2013 Billboard Music Awards with a surprise appearance from AHA lead singer Morton Hockett himself. How cool. That probably brings us to our next point because AHA got back out of retirement again. <laughs> so much for ending on a high note. Yeah, right. They pulled a double LCD sound system. On 4th December 2014, they announced their participation at Rock in Rio 2015, which celebrated 30 years for both the band and the event. I got I gotta say, constantly breaking up and reuniting is a good way to sustain interest in your band That's if you're true. not gonna be putting out big songs, you know? And I mean five hundred million kroner only goes so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh Fortunately for them, their 10th studio album, Cast and Steel, was released in 2015, and the tour happened in autumn and spring of 2015 and 2016. But coinciding with the 2017 summer solstice, the group headed to the remote island of Giske off of Norway's west coast to record their first ever acoustic concerts for MTV Unplugged, with arrangements by producer uh, Lars Hortveth. The by then perennial arena band played a career-spanning set with guests including Ian McCulloch from Echo and the Bunnymen, that's pretty cool, for an audience of only 250. So, you know, pretty exclusive chance to see AHA. And if you didn't make it, that October the show was released under the title MTV Unplugged, Summer Solstice, and it debuted at number three on the album chart in Germany and number six in the UK, and was followed by another world tour in 2018. According to the label Rhino, they have sold a total of 55 million records worldwide. Not bad for a two-hit wonder. Can't say that's bad at all. That is, I mean, great job, AHA. You have really done a, a good job of sustaining yourself all these years and keeping people interested. I, I do appreciate the fact that this is the first two-hit wonder episode, and we've spent 
most of the time celebrating one song and shitting on the yep. other. <laughs> yeah. It was it's okay. It's all right. It's not bad. That's how it goes down on this bitch of an earth. Let's let's talk about some other people who have played this song though. Yes, um let's talk about some covers and versions including first up that MTV unplugged version I was just talking about. Sure, let's hear it. All right. This is the gentle take on me. Talking away. Oh, I don't know what I'm to say. I'll say it anyway. This is actually beautiful. Today is another day to find you shying away. It's okay. Does it pick up? I'll be coming for your love, okay? Nope. Take on. Oh man, that's that's kind of a shame actually. I'd love to hear an actual acoustic performance of like the song as is. Where's the drop? <laughs> okay, but it just cuts everyone in the crowd lip syncing. Where is this not pulling on your heartstrings? No, I think this is I I don't like the song in this iteration, actually. I think it sounds a little too overdramatic. My, my default when I hear this style of cover of, like, just kind of pop songs <laughs> is to laugh. <laughs> he's very serious about everything he's singing. All right. That's, that's the MTV Unplugged live version, the very self-serious. I would, be di- I would be disappointed if I went to a normal AHA concert and got that version. I of doubt they would do it at a normal concert. Yeah. I think, again, I can't imagine them putting a Flight of the Bumblebee breakdown <laughs> into this, in a shooting guitar riff, so kind of doesn't check that box for me. Slow down to that speed. He just hums it. Yeah, not as good. Not as good. Uh, so let's talk about some this, covers. Um, there is an officially sanctioned remix of Take On Me by another Norwegian artist, uh, Tropical House producer Kaigo. Did a remix of this song. Let's have a listen. Sure. Trevor, tell me when you hate it. Already not a big fan. I mean, it sounds like something I would hear in like a commercial for a, a like a cruise ship. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck are about to come out wearing like swim trunks, <laughs> telling me how exciting this cruise is gonna be. just feels unnecessary does he do anything cool with the synth part no he doesn't use any of the original instruments oh okay let's we're done here (laughs) yeah i just wanted to show you that it was bad that's all yeah it's 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 not worth hearing or remembering it's not really anything but apparently this isn't gonna gonna get me to the caribbean it is (laughs) 
The thing that this reminds me of is the fact that Foo Fighters had like a Dead Mouse remix on yes. their 2011 album, which Wasting Lights. It's just like at some point, you know, certain artists past a certain age just shouldn't be asking for remixes of their songs. <laughs> That's facts. So next we've got a cover by Real Big Fish, who are a band that I don't like. And this is for the movie, uh, the Trey Parker, Matt Stone film, Basketball. That is what this, this was made for. So let's have a listen. Pick it up. (laughs) Oh my god! Full scar. Yeah. I will say, as much as I dislike this, it is my favorite so far. Oh, they did it! They went they for did. it. They nailed. They, they nailed. It's not a bad. It's not a bad cover. I just don't like Real Big Fish. I have like associations with them that just really put me in a sour mood. I'm not like, and I'm and I'm a fan of Third Wave Scott. I like Street Life Manifesto. <laughs> I can I can I can dig it. But Real Big Fish just never been a big fan. All of the people the, in this band look like. Uh, you remember those Mac versus PC commercials? They all look like yeah. the Mac. They all look like the Mac. Anyway, you were saying Nick. I, this isn't this isn't on the list, but MXPX did a cover of Take on Me, and the thing that always bugged me about it is they don't even try for the high note. They oh, they that's worth listening harmony. to. That is completely worth listening to. Let's do it. The guitar is too loud. It's punk rock, man. That was bad. That was bad. You got to at least try it, man. It doesn't matter if it sounds bad. You got to at least try it. You got to go for it. Me first in the gimme gimme's would have gone for it. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> Next, we've got a cover from the Pickin' On series, right? Which is a blue ga- bluegrass tribute. Yeah, and I think this, this one's actually pretty fire. That bass is hard. <laughs> this is very good. Now just imagine the video, but all of them are wearing straw hats. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm imagining, and it's cracking me up. Talking away, but I don't know what, what to say, but say it anyway. 
I was more excited for this one. I thought they were going to do the whole thing on banjos. But let's listen to them to the chorus. Seven out of ten, pretty solid. Smooth. That was smooth. That was good. It was all right. Didn't have the magic, but it wasn't. It wasn't. They didn't just fucking not attempt it. So, got to give them that partial credit. Solid. Next, we have a cover of a band uh, by a band that Trevor really likes, Captain Jazz. Oh man, this is such a good cover. Yeah, Midwestern emo classic act, Captain Jazz. I saw them like two years ago at FYF. They totally fucking blew me away. It was a wild experience. And I did not join you. And I and every time you talk about that concert, you you make me wish I was there. It was the best part of that weekend. And like I was I'm as surprised as anybody else would be to say that. Like, but yeah, Cap'n Jazz fucking knocked it out of the park. And they're a classic emo band. I mean, they like are had a hand in pioneering the genre. So yeah, let's listen to this. Unmistakable Tim Kinsella vocals. Yep. liked that i liked what he did there that was fun he puts his own spin on it but he still hits the high note he does he and he, and he, he did not he did not try to squirm his way out of it he did the thing Captain Jazz are a great band, dude. I'm really psyched for the audience to listen to this and for us to just hate on all of the pretty normal covers <laughs> and then just become ecstatic over that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, time for what is not a really normal cover. This is a cover by boy band A1, uh, the self-proclaimed Take On Me 2000 edit. Let's hear it. Fuck this, by the way.
The only thing I like about this cover is that that halftime thing they did after the day or two. Everything else sounds dated and horrible. I think it's pretty generic. The Wikipedia page says that it was panned by music critics who called it a, quote, lame cover version and a, quote, note-for-note copy that seems like a, quote, re-release of the original. But it was commercially successful, topping the charts in the United Kingdom and Norway. Funny how there is no justice in the world. The UK really latched on to AHA and AHA-related content after initially shunning them pretty hard. Oh, what can you do? What's next? The Saxon Drums edit? Yeah, I found this when I was doing what I usually do, which is surfing YouTube for covers. This was uploaded mere days ago. Uh, We are recording this on November the 18th, and this was uploaded to YouTube on... Oh, it's gone. Oh, they took it down. Oh, my God. No way. What? No! What the... (laughs) Oh my God! How about you? Descri- how about you describe what it is? That'll be almost oh, as good, right? DMCA oh. takes well, the, yet shit, another. Man, the drummer was fourteen. The saxophonist is thirteen, and they're shredding, and they add a bunch of cool chords and like drum fills to the like, original song. That shit was cool, but but sti- but good. It was good though. Oh no! This oh, it's like is a jazz reinstrumentation. Right now. I'm going to look for a mirror really quick before I give up on this. That is a bummer. <laughs> and the other thing is that it had like 300 views, and it was professionally produced. Someone took a bunch of shots of these kids playing saxophone and drums and worked their fucking ass off to edit it. And I was so excited to talk about it and link to it, but that shit is gone. Maybe maybe they've taken it down temporarily to fix some kind of minor issue or promote it even in, in an even bigger way when it goes back up, if it was as a professional effort as you're saying it was. Yeah. This is breaking my heart right now, but I guess we have to move on. That has never yeah, happened the, to me before. World tour I was so excited. There's a, there's, a, there's a first time for everything, but <laughs> luckily I'm really looking forward to this thing we're about to talk about because it, it's also recently released and it's yep. like very cool. Yep. Um, this is, uh, as seen on Twitter, the Take On Me versus Kendrick Lamar backseat freestyle mashup. Who's this by? Uh, a Twitter user by the name of Noah Charlick made this mashup. And his SoundCloud is uh, soundcloud.com slash N04H music. So Noah music. There you go, Noah. Here it is. Take on backseat. Uh, Martin had a dream. <laughs> Martin had a dream. It's so good. Kendrick have a dream. Girlfriend and mistress All my life I want money 
could listen to this all day. Like, this is so natural. Yeah, it and it brings out all of these really charming things about his flow, too. Yeah. I really do like that shift into halftime, like, halfway through the chorus. That's a really cool effect, and mashups like that really bring out how, how well it works. I agree. I agree. Next, we have... A special cover just brought to my attention before we started recording this episode by Nick. Um, a cover by none other than Amber G. So th- this was, uh, w- when I searched for that aforementioned music video on iTunes, I remember this being like the second result, and I was curious. So I like I downloaded this, and... Uh, you pay for it. I, I paid for this song, and okay, I guess we should listen to it first. All right, let, let, let's give a listen to Take On Me by Amber G from the Take Me On EP. <laughs> what the fuck is this, Nick? Who wants to play some DDR? Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, I'm here for this. <laughs> you know what? This is fire. There's nothing else we need to cover about this. <laughs> I'll allow it. Okay. Now, if you got a little um, auditory uncanny valley from that, that that's because Amber G is, as discussed on her website, she is the original digital singer. So is it like some kind of like Hitsune Miku deal? Like it's a robot? Yes. So this predates Hatsune Miku. And according to Amber G's website, it's like a super surreal website because it's like, it does the whole like role playing like I am a seventeen year old girl who lives in a computer. Great. Uh, she has released five records, I think, and it, the span is like two thousand two to twenty seventeen. Yeah. And yeah. there was there was a weird period of time where there was just like n- nothing about this was being upkept. So. I remember in 2012, like, remembering this song and going to Amber G's website and finding just, like, you know, like a GeoCities-type sort of situation. <laughs> but they still had a chat room for oh, this, fun. like... Oh, fun! So, a, an active chat room. And it, it it's still, like, one of the, like, top ten, like, surreal experiences in my life is wow. going to, like, this chat room for this pre-Hatsune Miku, like, role-playing techno Eurodance like synthetic vocal artist 
uh, and and meeting people who I guess like met each other and still kept in contact over like seven years. Interesting. Or so they've Very just strange. been logging onto this chat room every day for seven years, talking to each other. Oh my yeah. god! I'd, I'd be so I, interested in learning would, more about that little community of people. I know, and that's what I wanted to find out. Only to realize that in 2015 or something, the creator of Amber G like totally revamped the whole brand. The website looks clean and slick, and I can't find any more oh, chat. Do you think those people lost each other oh, forever? No. I wonder. Oh, I want that would bum me out. Uh, we should start like a find Amber G chat room. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you're one of those people <laughs> listening, and you're, and you're listening right now. Get in touch with us. We'll do our best to try and put you back into contact with any of those friends you might have lost when the Amber G website went through its big overhaul. Or just please tell us the full story. <laughs> <laughs> Two hit wonders of the world doing the Lord's work out here. I think that's a. I think that's as good a time as ever to get into our attributes, Maxton. No, no, no. It's not, Trevor. I have one last surprise in store for both you. And my good friend Nick over here. Nick, uh, Nick and I, as as uh, you may or may not know, we're once in a band together called Christmas Somewhere. Oh, yeah. And we recorded a lot of material together that uh, oh my God. didn't see release. Yes, yes, Nick. And in 2017, the two of us got a wild hair up our ass and decided to try our hand at recording a cover of Take On Me by Ah. Oh, how fun. Yep. Great. And so the Christmas Somewhere cover of Take On Me. Yep. And what year is this from? 2017. This is from 2017. Okay. We'll say it's ageless. It is ageless. <laughs> sure. I I should say I haven't heard this since probably that day. Awesome. Uh, I mean, dude, 30 minutes ago, I was beat matching it. I hadn't done it in a year and a half. I never did it. Um... This is a one-hit wonders of the world premiere. Nick and Maxton, Christmas Somewhere, take on me. That Nick on guitar? Yes. Great. I think I loved that. You nailed that. I gotta say, this is one of the most surreal experiences. I feel like I'm being visited by a ghost. It's so much better to be safe than 
Thank you. Those weren't intentional. Take on me by Nick and Maxton. I thought that I thought that was a fantastic take on Take on Me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nick, how are you feeling? I am sweating so hard. You have no idea. That was complete like this is going out to an audience of 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 people I don't know. Anyway, fun last from the past for sure. Oh my god, that was so much fun. I'm so glad that we did that. And I believe that takes us to our attributes. Yes, that will take us to our attributes. No more surprises here. Um <clears throat> I do want to mention something really quick about that cover. Uh I I changed the lyrics from what they actually were to what I thought they were. So like I think the second the second verse I say um uh, needless to say, I'm an arsonist. <laughs> like I, I, I change. I, I That's a good lyric. It, thank you. I, I always heard it a, a certain way, and I needed to hear it that way on a record. And I don't think anyone was able to tell the difference. So worked in my book. Um, at the end of every episode of One Hit Wonders of the World, and now Two Hit Wonders of the World, uh, we create attributes for every song we talk about, and we rate the attributes on any scale we desire, but it has to be the same scale per episode. Uh, Trevor, you want to scale? You want me to scale? I got a scale. You got a scale? I got, a, I got, I got something I'm working with. All right, what you got? So um, <clears throat> it took me a, took me a second to come up with one, but you know, these days uh, it's it's not enough to just say how you feel about things on the internet, right? You got to have takes, and those takes they got to be hot. Oh boy, go oh, great! I like it. I like where you're going with so this. I thought I would I would I would use as a scale for my int- my attributes, like uh, you know the de- de- like temperature wise <laughs> degree of takes. Cool, awesome. So I've got I've got great. three. Um, and for the first one, I kind of want to talk about the one thing I don't really like about the song, which is its outro. Mm. Like, it kind of ends on, like, a bit of a weak fade. Like, it builds up to a cool climax, but then they don't really do anything with that sure. energy. It just kind of peters out. I can take that complaint. So I wanted to give the song's anticlimactic fade out a lukewarm mm. take. Mm. I, I, I just comprehended your scale, so I'm... Do you disagree? I, no. I, I, can, I can get on, or I can, uh, I can agree with that. Would you say? Would you say that you could feel it? I could feel it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Next, I'd like to uh, talk about the falsetto notes that uh, Morton Harkett hits in the chorus because those are just so inspiring and full of conviction. And he really he he goes he goes out on a high note, you know. So I'm going to give that one a hot take. Hey, hot take, hot take. <laughs> and then finally, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that inspiring synth work, which I truly believe is what makes this song so memorable in the first place, along with its video. Mm-hmm. I, I, have, I can give that no less than a nuclear-level take. Wow! Nuclear-level take. Nuclear-level take. Now, I have some similar attributes, but I have, di- I have different views. But my scale, my scale, my friend, is completely different. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a little actor called Liam Neeson or his successful series of movies, <laughs> Taken. But <Sure. laughs> I, I will be using the Taken scale uh, to rate these, with Taken 1 being the highest because it's the best of the Taken trilogy and Taken 3 being the lowest because it was panned. Um, but that isn't to say that any Taken is bad. I think, I think all the Taken movies bring something to the table, an important part in the story. Um, but I'm going to have to give 
the propulsive drum machine that, that's taken three I, I think i think it's it's good but maybe 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 inessential i think that wouldn't it, it be interesting to hear a version of the song with some live drums i would love it man they act like they're doing that in the music video but they don't yeah. deliver would be no. very I mean, they barely act like that it's like a snare drum <laughs> They act like it more in the other one. The sun always shines on TV. The one hit, I see. The, the, the other hit that we have basically completely ignored this entire episode. Um, but, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to have the parade of synthesizers awarded taken to. It's an important part of the story, certainly. But it okay. is not, it is not the, it is not the guts of the story. Taken one is going to have to go to the life-affirming vocals during the chorus. That moment, that that high note was where he sold America on AHA. That high note, that was the moment where everything clicked. I think I like, and when you hear that high note, is undeniable. When he does it, you have to like, even if people who don't like the song have to respect that level of musicianship. And it totally launches the track into a whole new stratosphere. Yes, certainly. And because of that, it's the most essential taken. That's taken one. And that's taken us to the end of the episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the 10th episode of One Hit Wonders of the World and the first episode of Two Hit Wonders of the World. But don't fret, because every 10th episode, we will be covering a Two Hit Wonder. See us back on episode 20. Uh, But for now... Uh, you can find us on Twitter where our handle is at one hit wondercast with the numeral one out front. Trevor, where can they send us stuff? They can send us stuff at uh, one hit wondercast at gmail.com, but their one is spelled out, so it's O and E hit wonders. Great. Uh, yeah. And you should reach out to us if you have any strong feelings about next time, next month's one hit wonder. How Bizarre by OMC. OMC. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about that. Any Kiwis out there? Kiwis, hit us up. You know what it is. New Zealand time. Let's get it. Yeah. Uh, But Nick, thanks for being on the show. It's been a joy to have you on. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I got to have you on finally. Thank you guys for having me on. This is, uh, you know, it's it's not often I get the chance to nerd out about things very few other people care about. Sweet. That's what this show is all about, man. I'm very happy to have had you on. But until next time, I've been Max and Stenstrom. I've been Trevor Ickrath. Nick, do it too. I've been Nick Bottomley. And until next time, stay wonderful. It's making me crazy Every time I